We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome in to the Rotowire NFL podcast. It's not for Thursday. It is Thursday 2.0. So the optimized version of the Thursday podcast. John McKechnie, Joe Bartle, hanging out with you. We're like the $2 million man of the NFL Rotowire podcasts, all right? No, 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 no. <laughs> is, that, is that the yes. sound? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I was going to let you go with it. It's fine. We, we can build it better, str- <laughs> stronger. The takes, hotter. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So that's how this pod is going to go. Um, and again, this is brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy. The NFL season is officially underway, which means Yahoo Daily Fantasy Football has returned. There's millions of reasons to enter the free Yahoo Cup on Daily Fantasy, and they're all dollars. That's right. Yahoo Cup is free to enter, and a perfect lineup will win you $1 million every week of the football season. It's as easy as entering the contest and picking your players. If you're over 18 and a United States citizen, there's no reason why you shouldn't take your shot. Yahoo Daily Fantasy now has new contests every week with guaranteed cash prizes. Even if you don't score a perfect lineup, you can still walk away from a game with a little cash. All right, Joe, so we're going to just kind of rapid fire, go through all the games for this week six slate. Obviously, we are through uh, the Thursday night game, Patriots, Giants. It happened. 
we let's move let's move past <laughs> it. Definitely happened. It uh, all right. So a game that hopefully will be a little bit better, but you can't really bet on it because London games just tend to be weird. Let's get into the Panthers and the Bucks. Uh, leading off for you. Is this a Mike Evans bounce back? I mean, last week I, I was just racking my brain trying to figure out how in the world he got shut out of the box score. Yeah, it's funny. You brought up the, the Giants-Patriots games on Thursday night, and Thursday night games always seem to be fluky. The same logic applies for London games, and we saw that even last week when the Raiders ended up upsetting the Bears. I just I get very worried about anything in, comes, in terms to predicting game script on London games because you just have no clue what's going to happen. So yeah, you would imagine I think Mike Evans would have a bounce-back performance. Not, not to say that Chris Godwin's going to lose what he's been doing thus far this season maybe takes a little bit of a step back. But for whatever the reason, the Bucks have been just one receiver heavy all year. And I feel like the Carolina secondary can stop one of them. Can they stop both those? The question in a normal NFL circumstance, I would think no. So maybe in London, it's gonna be yes. I, I guess that's the question mark I'm left to ask myself right now. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it's really tough to figure this one out. And the Panthers have been, you know, relatively tough against opposing receivers for most of the season, uh, showed some cracks in recent weeks, however, but uh, they, they were able to kind of shut down that, that Houston passing attack a few weeks ago, if I remember correctly. Um, I do feel like uh, we will see a bounce back from Mike Evans. Um, would you be so bold as to start OJ Howard this week? No, 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 no. There's actually a, a talk earlier uh, today in the office about, how low are you going to trade O.J. Howard? And the thought immediately came to mind, I think O.J. Howard is the most depreciated fantasy asset this season. And that's, of course, with Baker Mayfield literally tanking every one of my lineups. I've, I very well know how bad he has been. Oh, that's brutal. Uh, well, I have Lamar Jackson a few of them, so it makes it makes up for it. But like O.J. Howard... I I, I think it's and I still think it's Bruce Arians or maybe Byron Leftwich or whatever. Like I have, I am not placing any blame essentially on OJ Howard, and I I know I should. Right, he he fumbled it, had a few drops, hasn't been great in the production categories and running as well or run blocking, I should say. So I get where there are some people that are like, all right, I'm going to hate on OJ Howard best I can, but I still think it's more of the coaching staff not getting a talented guy involved. So I, I'm not going anywhere near him. Again, London games are fluky, so maybe this ends up being a scenario where he gets 200 receiving yards and all of uh, all of London goes wild and just goes crazy for him. Yeah, they, they suddenly think that he's like the best thing that we have over here. It, yeah, <laughs> this guy's amazing. Look at him God, go. He's, he's grunk too. 2.0. Yeah. So I I have my doubts about that happening, but uh, you know, we, we shall see. They probably think it's like Julius Thomas 2.0, right? Because they're all Jacksonville Jaguars fans. Oh my God, that's right. And that's that's yeah, it. Hasn't he gone off in London before? Oh, I'm sure he has. They've played so many games there. I mean, that's that's why I figured they don't know who Gronk is, but Julius Thomas, that guy's the best tight end in the NFL. These are just, Those are just straight up facts. All right, let, let's move on over to the Ravens versus the Bengals. Ravens 10.5 point favorites. I feel Oogie uh, betting that many points on the Ravens, given how shaky the defense has looked relative to recent years. Even bad offenses have moved the ball against them. Uh, the Bengals, I uh, tweeted it out last Sunday. They have officially poisoned my brain. Their performance against the Seahawks in week one continues to make me think that somehow they, they can like jump up and take down a good team or at least give them enough of a fight. And certainly in this case, with a 10.5 point spread, I would side with the Bengals in that one. I do think the Ravens win this one. Uh, we have some fantasy concerns, though, on the Ravens' side because Marquise Brown sprained his ankle against the Steelers, didn't look good after, no. afterward. You know, he was testing it out on the sideline. Uh, you could tell he was still favoring it. Mark Andrews continues to play through multiple issues, but I think he was a full participant as on as of Friday, so he should be good to go. 
Uh, Mark Ingram has been pretty automatic uh, early or through this early part of the season. Lamar Jackson a little bit more erratic. What is your read on this game? Yeah, I, I'm I'm a little bit concerned if Marquise Brown is unable to go. And you're right, he came back into the game last week and really did look limited. It was basically he could just run straight and there wasn't any cutting involved and I don't know if that was the surface too like it just looked a little bit wet or um moist it looked Heinzy. yeah <laughs> that's a good way it looked Heinzy. Yeah. yeah it looked like Heinz Field uh so maybe it's a different circumstance but I, I guess I don't know like it's there's not going to be weather concerns it looks appears to be at least of Friday recording in this contest so maybe it's going to make things better for him but if he's out I'm I'm begrudgingly considering Willie Sneed, and yes, I'm saying this in large part to will my way to get a few more points in Stake League, or I'm almost forced to have to start him this week. Oh, no. Yes, it's been a bad year in Stake League, but it's fine. We're going to move past it. This is not a podcast about my fantasy teams, despite the fact that I could really use a talking to a good therapy <laughs> session. Um, I, so maybe in, Willie Sneed ends up doing all right. I don't, like, I'm not, are you buying Miles Boykin if, if uh, Marquise Brown is out, or is this literally just Lamar Jackson running around, finding whoever is open, and then maybe Mark Andrew scores kind of game yeah I think you have to be in like a 14 teamer to start to find utility in either uh, Willie Sneed or Miles Boykin when it comes to Boykin he's been good when targeted in the red zone he's been pretty good when targeted period but he's not getting open very easily I think his snap counts have kind of dwindled a little bit in his role uh, as well he looked okay against the Chiefs didn't really do anything um uh I think or this past weekend against the against the Steelers I'm sorry um so I don't have enough uh, trust in him. Uh, again, it'd have to be a really deep league for me to go after Boykin. Um, so, like you're I love saying, Boyd and Auden Tate, though, like on the other side yeah. of this, right? Like that's where I'm looking to target it because you're right. The ten and a half point spread for the Ravens would seem to suggest that's going to be a blowout, and I I tend to agree just because I think the Bengals, if not for the Dolphins, Redskins, Giants, Broncos, and four or five other teams in the NFL, could be one of the worst. Uh, out there, but they're kind of able to survive because the Dolphins and everyone else I listed are just so bad. Mm-hmm. They can pass the ball, and they, when we saw last week, they can get junk time production. That's why Andy Dalton ended up being a relatively decent fantasy quarterback despite only doing well for one quarter or essentially three drives. It felt like I like Boyd a lot, at least in FanDuel lineups. He was basically an automatic start for me, it felt like this week, because of the Ravens secondary and how bad they've been. And I think Auden Tate could find his way into the end zone too. Like we've, we saw with John Ross, he's obviously more explosive. Ross is out, though, and Auden Tate's kind of filled in as that, oh, boy, I got to throw it. Andy Dalton role that we've seen for the past couple of weeks, and, and he does okay with that. Right. My thing with Tate is almost like we we caught a, like a cautionary glimpse of what Tate really is as a player, but we were saved by the touchdown. touchdown yeah, absolutely. Um, but I feel like on a on a play-to-play basis, he's not someone that I, I trust. So while it was nice that he was able to get the touchdown last week, I don't know if I'll go after him in DFS necessarily. If you have to start him, I think I have a league where I, where I do have to start him or I'm pigeonholed into that. But and like, you were I'm, making fun of my Willie Sneed one. How dare you? I was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that's a team I root for, so I'll, I'll root, or I'll make fun of it extra hard in that in that case. But yeah, otherwise, I think you have the right read where where like this Bengals. Uh, passing attack just by virtue of garbage time and and the shakiness of this Ravens defense especially now that Tony Tony Jefferson is done for the year um, I think that 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 just leaves things open a little bit more and of course green light to Tyler Board as well Uh, let's jump on over uh, to the Browns uh, home uh, home dogs against the Seahawks Seahawks looking really really impressive and also coming off a longer layoff here having played last Thursday whereas the Browns 
coming off a short week and coming back from the West Coast here. So kind of interesting scheduling quirk there where the, the Seahawks with the long layoff get to play a team on a short week here. What's your read? Everybody and their mother seems to be in on Chris Carson. And that makes me really concerned uh, to the point where, yeah, I, I'm putting him in a few of my DFS lineups and you have to start him in your season long, but maybe we have to temper our expectations a little bit, given what the Browns defense could be. Now, we haven't seen what the Browns defense really is or what, like the at least beginning of the season, what we thought the Browns defense could be. It has not translated to that point. So in that sense, Chris Carson probably ends up being a factor. And we know the secondary for the Browns has been banged up. Greedy Williams, Denzel Ward are mm-hmm. both, I think, either not practicing or limited participants of practice Friday to the point where, again, we, I mean, we've seen that in past weeks, but the 49ers really didn't beat the Browns by passing the ball. George Kittle did some things, but it was more of the Matt Breida and Tevin Coleman show. I don't know if Chris Carson's the same type of player as those two. Not nearly on the speed front, and that's and that, where the Niners were killing him. Exactly. So if that doesn't happen, does Chris Carson get to be as effective? Well, I don't know. Russell Wilson's a magician in the pocket and can move the ball down the field in other ways. So maybe Carson falls into the end zone and you get your production that way. But I'm not necessarily saying Carson is going to do the same thing that Breida and Coleman did. And I think a lot of people saw that Monday night game and were like, oh, great. they can the or The Browns defense can really be had on the ground. I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. Uh, next time that Chris Carson runs a four three forty, let me know, <laughs> and then I will, you know, kind of jump back in on that. But I, I'm with you. I, I don't. I don't view Carson necessarily in the same vein as those Seattle runners, and I don't uh, view this setup to, as one where he's going to gash the Browns repeatedly on the ground. So with you there, and then of course Tyler Lockett, automatic. Will Disley, if you picked him up, he's automatic. Uh, DK Metcalf, I think, has established himself as a legitimate like flex option. Option in, oh, yeah. in most leagues. He looks great as a deep threat. Um, so all systems go as far as the Seahawks uh, passing attack is concerned. On the Browns side, what are we looking at here? Because Baker Mayfield is going to be seeing probably a lot of Jadavion Clowney, and we know that he's been struggling mightily under pressure this year. I wanted to circle back real quick to Will sure. Disley. The Browns are allowing the fifth most points to the tight end position overall, and I think that's going to stay true given that Tyler Lockett's been okay and DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf has also been pretty good in their respective roles, and that's fantastic. But I think that they're going to have to move the ball in between the 20s, and that's where Will Disley comes in. So, yes, automatic start in all three of those, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but Disley, I wanted to pull out in particular. Nice. I, I, I like Odell Beckham as a buy low candidate, but I don't know if it's going to be this week. And I just traded DeAndre Hopkins in Stake League, so I am well aware of stud receivers not living up to their, their hype so far. Yep. And I get it with the concern on Odell Beckham. I, maybe if they have time in the pocket, and that's the question mark, right, with the Browns. I think Baker Mayfield is, is supremely talented, but he has looked dreadful when anybody's rushing him. And we, uh, Jadavian Clowney and everyone else that you listed for the Seahawks, you imagine they're going to get to the quarterback again this week, and the Browns' offense line can't hold up. Yeah, that, that Browns do, line is awful. If they do, and that's a big if, we've seen it. I think there's an opportunity, given how bad the secondary has been for the Seahawks, that Beckham and company might be able to take advantage. That's that's where I'm wondering if it's it's if you wait one more week to trade for Odell Beckham, or if this is the week that you want to have him when he starts on that upswing. Yeah, that, that's a really like interesting point because there is going to be a time I feel like where this clicks for Beckham, um, or at least I'm on that side. Obviously, there there's another school of thought that maybe this this Browns 
experiment will just go wayward for the entire season. And if you hold on too long, you know, it's, it's going to burn you in the end. But I do feel like Beckham had, you know, has enough talent to, to get this going at some point. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think you bring up a really good point when it comes to the, the Seattle secondary being maybe a little bit leaky. And we, we saw what happened. I mean, Jared Goff even looked pretty decent against them at, at times, um, last week. So, and you brought up the Bengals in week one. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, we have very recent memory of them letting maybe less than adequate talents do well in their situations. They, they got gashed by speed. They got j- gashed by John Ross. Exactly. So, so that's that's why I wonder if it's a, if this might be the Odell Beckham week. It's it's uh, a fleeting proposition, but I wouldn't give up hope that he, being a late first-round pick, might be able to return value, obviously, after a dismal first five weeks of the season. Yeah. All right. I think we're on the same page there. Let's jump on over to the Jags facing off against the Saints. I think this is like low-key one of the better matchups of this entire week. I think two teams that uh, you know, have taken very pa- different paths to where that to how they've gotten here, but both are dealing with backup quarterbacks, maybe exceeding expectations at that same time. Gardner Minshew and Teddy Bridgewater, Bridgewater coming off that really nice game against the Bucks. Gardner Minshew uh, just continues to be the goat. Obviously, um, Jaguars one and a half point favorites in this one. How do you see this one unfolding? Yeah, I think you only like this matchup because of the the mustache. Obviously, I mean that's mm-hmm. that's cl- the clear intrigue is Gardner Minshew and what he's going to be able to do. But I actually think I'm more interested in the fact that Elvin Kamara might not be able to go. The, the most recent report, only like uh, 40 minutes ago, was that. Uh, Sean Payton did not really reference Elvin Kamara's practice stats, and he did not practice on Friday. And Latavius Ugh. Murray was out of practice due to an injury. Now, Payton mentioned the injury for Latavius Murray, declined to mention anything with Elvin Kamara. So what that means is a question mark, and I think I've seen on both sides of the fantasy circle thus far, uh, implying, oh, man, that Kamara is also going to be injured or he's out or oh, no, that means nothing because he mentioned Murray's injury but didn't say anything about Kamara. So, like, if you're trying to hide things schematically, you would assume that you wouldn't say the backup is injured as opposed to the starter. So we're, we're just getting into Sean, into the mind of Sean Payton or attempting to. No one to. needs to do that, no. right? Like, that's Stay not a out. healthy thing for anyone to do in America is try to understand what Sean Payton's brain is doing at any given time. So Mm-mm. if Kamara is healthy, obviously the matchup's perfect, right? We saw what uh, Jacksonville has really done in the running game and lack thereof, and Christian McCaffrey, latest example of something that can eviscerate the defense. You would love to have Kamara in there. I have him in a lot of different my FanDuel lineups, and uh, you know, at least in price-wise, it makes sense given what you'd expect him to do. The injury, though, is a concern. I, I, I want to monitor that before we get to the Sunday kickoff time because maybe if he's out and if Latavius Murray's out, I would not want to go to whatever third-string option the Saints have. And that does hurt the chances of Teddy Bridgewater having success. I think, yeah, if, if Kamara's out, I think this this Saints offense becomes even more like one dem- – or it's basically like one-pronged, essentially, because you know we, I think we've established at this point it's Michael Thomas, it's Alvin Kamara, and then anything else – left behind is just kind of scraps like it you know maybe you get lucky with with Traquan Smith or, or um you know the tight end Jared Cook or um or Ted Ginn or something like that but otherwise I mean there's just nothing really to like the way this offense functions it's so heavily through Thomas and Kamara and if you remove Kamara from that equation and you force these like kind of bit players into bigger roles I think the whole thing kind of collapses on itself so um if that ends up being the case with Kamara then yeah, I'd say the Saints are in big, big trouble there. And then on the Jaguar side, um, we've seen DJ Chark just kind of emerge as as like a must start every week, even right. even with you know tough matchup potentially here uh, with the Saints secondary. Yeah, and and specifically, I mean, you're looking at uh, Marshawn Lattimore who locked up 
uh, Mike Evans to the point where he was hardly factored at all last week. And I am a little bit concerned. I think if you have DJ Chark, he has gotten to the point where he is must start. And I feel like that same way with Terry McLaurin too. Uh, and these are guys that you're picking up in week one. And it's weird to say in week five and week six that, oh, I need to have him in my lineup at all times. But it's the case. And I think Gardner Minshew just seems to have a rhythm with DJ Charker, whether it be D.D. Westbrook. And of course, the the Jacksonville Jaguars offense is reliant on Leonard Fournette being able to run the ball. If he's able to even move it three, three and a half yards per carry. Oh, he can do that. I think that's <laughs> going to set them up for success, whether Lattimore's on Chark or not. With the play action, you're going to have to account for that. And that's where I'm, I'm less worried about Chark than maybe we probably should, given how successful Lattimore has been at shutting down the opposition's number one receiver. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, uh, the tie goes to the offensive player in, in this case. So, green light for Chark, even with, like you said, uh, the shutdown performance from Lattimore against Mike Evans. Let's move on over to probably the matchup of the week here with with the Chiefs and the Texans, Mahomes, Watson, a lot to like in this game. Extremely high over under of 55. We'll see if that if that's just like Vegas daring you to take the over in that situation. Uh, what's your read here? Damian Williams. Uh-huh. Damian Williams game, I think, this weekend. And maybe that's just me saying that as a guy that took him the second round in early August drafts and has been regretting it a little bit. The Texans are actually, I think, a decent enough defense against the running back position overall, but they allow the most receptions overall to the running back position. We saw Damian Williams last week outsnap LaShawn McCoy and Daryl Williams by a significant margin. I think the Chiefs are going to have to pass, and so long as Mahomes is healthy enough to move around in the pocket, and we didn't see that last week. I'm not sure we can say this certain this week, but he was full participant in practice uh, since Wednesday. So if that's the case, you have to assume the Chiefs are going to be able to pass the ball uh, effectively enough. I think Damian Williams is going to be a huge part of that. So maybe they move the ball around from, I'm thinking like 120 total yards and four or five receptions. That's fantastic news um, if they can get into the red zone, because I do think they'll feed in the ball there too. I, I like that call. And, you know, as someone who also invested in Damian Williams early in drafts, that would be nice to see. Speaking of running backs that we all probably jumped the shark on and have been trying to justify our takes ever since. Maybe I'm just talking for myself. Duke Johnson, I feel like, is set up in a good in a good position here. I think the Chiefs, if there's one you know specific thing about their defense that, that can be shaky, um, it's against the run. I don't think that Houston offers the same amount of oomph in their rushing attack that, that Indianapolis did a week ago. And I think we you know we've seen that over the course of the season thus far. But Johnson still been effective on on a per snap basis. We just need to see him start to eat into the Carlos Hyde workload a little bit. I think it's, you know, I'm, I'm hoping on hope here a little bit, but this is a good set, setup for him potentially here. And if things become a little bit more of a track meet, maybe he finds himself into more snaps uh, here. So I, I do like Duke Johnson as like a buy-low candidate in DFS. Yeah, and I feel like Bill O'Brien is going to say, no, you're stupid, because he's been telling us that for now the past five or six weeks. And Carlos Hyde, to his credit, has been effective in the carries that he's gotten thus far. But I do think a multi, uh, multi-talented multi player like Duke Johnson, whereas Carlos Hyde is really a one-trick pony, would make more sense in a game where they're going to be having to pass, you would imagine, to be successful. Now, we saw the Colts do the inverse last week. But again, I think that was more so Patrick Mahomes' inability to move around in the pocket and thus be unable to extend plays. That really was the byproduct. Yeah, Marlon mm-hmm. Mack was able to run the ball really effectively. By the end of the game, that looked like the Packers 2.0 defense where they just were like, oh, uh, guys running up the middle. I guess we'll give him six yards without yeah, touching. We don't want any part of this. No, that's that's fine. So yeah, maybe Carlos Hyde ends up falling his way to 75 plus yards or whatever. But I think Duke Johnson can also do that and still be a receiving threat. So in either game script, 
I think Duke Johnson's probably the guy I'd rather have over over a guy like Carlos Hyde. Okay. All right. That makes me feel a little bit better. And then one more uh, Texan to to talk about. Obviously, Will Fuller went off last week. We're still kind of waiting on that from DeAndre Hopkins. You just said that you traded him. Oh, yeah. So... Let's get I'm in the mind of sure Joe. I'm pretty sure I traded him on the low, and I'm fine with that because I was just completely triggered, and I'm own five in stake <laughs> league, and the second lowest score right now, despite having a, a roster that has Royce Freeman, uh, has uh, Ronald Jones, and Peyton Barber. That was a fun one. I never got right, uh, and I have Michael Gallup, Tyrell Williams, uh, the, all the receivers that you'd imagine to break out for under fifteen bucks in an auction league. I have them on my team. So I I just <laughs> went to the tornado room last week and got my stake paid for in baseball. I'm gonna. Have to, I didn't anticipate looking at the menu again this quickly. As, oh, yeah. As the guy that's... Just assume that whatever $200 I'm going to owe you by the end of the year, I can just give it to you <laughs> forward right now. Anyway, I, I trade DeAndre Hopkins who, to Ken Kreitz, uh, who, of course, is having uh, a frustratingly much more successful season than myself. Oh, and I, I hate up, to see it. I, I ended up getting Marlon Mack and Josh Allen, my quarterback, and my only quarterback in that league at the time was Baker Mayfield. So you can understand why getting a quarterback like Josh Allen makes it a little bit better. And I shrug my shoulders saying that. Uh, Kirk buy, Cousins though. is my starter this week. That's that's where we're at. Ooh, okay. Yeah, and he started last week too, which is okay. Uh, but Marlon <laughs> Mack and Josh Allen, who are both on bye, that's how desperate I was to make a trade uh, that <laughs> to is, move DeAndre that's Hopkins. That's amazing. And, I love and it. here's here's the thing for the listeners out there: because I trade DeAndre Hopkins, I can almost assure you that he is getting ten catches, 150 yards, and two touchdowns against the Chiefs. It's it's basically written down in stone that this is going to happen. Uh, and I, I know I sold low on him. I, I was just concerned on the Texans passing attack when they are facing above average pass rushers. Like that offensive line, even with Laramie Tunsil has been unsuccessful, I mm-hmm. think through this, through five weeks. And maybe Will Fuller does great against the Atlanta, Haw- uh, Atlanta Hawks, the Atlanta <laughs> Falcons of the world, but against actually relevant teams with an actually relevant defense, the passing attack is a bit of a concern for me. So Hopkins is getting plenty of targets. I just wonder if they're going to actually be able to convert in the red zone. Yeah, and you know the the Chiefs go up against speed every day in practice. So like <laughs> Will, Fu- Will Fuller is not going to like be this kind of like newfound thing to them. Like they've they've seen and they know how to deal with speed there. So uh, hopefully Hopkins can start to pay off for his owners. And I, I don't know. I, I feel. I've, I will kind of feel bad if, if he does, though. Oh, if, I, you know, I for, guarantee you it's going to happen. I told you, it, write it in stone. Hopkins, 10 catches, 140 yards, two touchdowns. There is a weird happen. rock outside the office that just like has that on it. <laughs> I was wondering what that it was. It just appeared the other day, too. As, as soon as that trade got uh, processed, I don't know how it happened, but the rock was right there. <laughs> it was. It's, a, it's one of those biblical signs you only find in Madison. All right, let's jump over to... Do we have to? Do we have to jump over oh, yeah. <laughs> to you the know. Redskins and Dolphins? Uh, I'll just say this. Preston Williams, I like him in DFS as like a GPP. I feel good about like the best ball shares of, of him that I have maybe paying off a bit this week. I guess yeah. my, my question well, how to you, did you have best ball shares of Preston Williams to begin with that that's that should be like I'm, a, I'm ill a degenerate kind of move that you had any receiver besides Devontae Parker from the Dolphins overall yeah because yeah, uh, again I'm 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 that much of a Devontae Parker hater and like <laughs> again I'm just ill like I, I just think that like Preston Williams kind of had enough to where like I would spend my 20th round draft pick on him and I think maybe he did enough in like one of the first preseason games to like sway my decision uh, all right well i, I don't know cause i'm a i'm a super big rotoware homer obviously uh i'm employed through them so i will continue to trumpet every everybody that works at rotoware to the best of my extent and then annoyingly so i forget who was the one who said that quentin dunbar actually would be a decent enough matchup against preston williams to the point where they wouldn't consider them in dfs if you're starting preston williams in, in or if you're considering starting them in season-long leagues 
I feel sorry for you. Yeah. I am one of those people, so I feel sorry for myself. <laughs> uh, I think you probably have to because this matchup looks on paper okay, but Quentin Dunbar might be a, a difficult one overall. I, I'm more interested in Terry McLaurin of the of the receivers to note in this game, and I, I think I have no pulse on what's going to happen in a matchup between two of the worst teams in NFL history, not just this year, I think in NFL history. Uh, and Case Keenum starting makes me a little bit more optimistic on what McLaurin's going to be able to do. So that's about the only direction I want to go. Don't talk to me about Adrian Peterson, Twitter followers out there. I don't want to talk about Adrian Peterson. I don't want you to have to think about Adrian Peterson. Just please do something else with your life if Adrian Peterson has to be included in your starting lineup this week. Oh, yeah, it's. I mean, those Bill Callahan juice quotes about just only running the ball getting but they, getting they, the they already excited. run the, they're the fourth most on first down they are the fourth most run heavy team in the nfl it's not as if they aren't running the ball they're just doing it so ineffectively that they can't do anything else so that's why bill Callahan's saying we need to run the ball more okay fantastic but you're already doing it and sucking at it and yet now you're the head coach yeah and you know it's almost as if tr- having trent williams would be useful i you know who's to say uh to borrow a line from another rotowire podcast a real man picks the dolphins in survivor this week <laughs> yes yes that's true and this is the one week where i haven't won against the dolphins and i felt good enough surviving with the patriots this week so uh good luck to the ravens people out there who already used patriots week two or three and now have to roll the dice with literally any other team out there yeah I'm, I'm feeling i'm feeling the heebie-jeebies about about the ravens so i'm actually going with the cowboys and survivor this week before we get on to our next game we got a message from our friends over at side boss hey football fans week six of the nfl season is here and lucky for you side boss has got you covered if you missed entering the side boss pro pick'em contest it's not too late to join week six and still be eligible to win weekly and quarterly prizes throughout the season in addition to our Pro Pick'em contest where players choose five games against a spread each week, Sideboss is currently offering prop contests for quarterback, running back, wide receiver, and tight end. Play any Sideboss weekly or daily free-to-play games, get all the picks correct, and boom, win cash and an entry into the Sideboss 150K private NFL against the spread contest. Go to contests.sideboss.com and use promo code ROTOWIRE. All right, Joe, let's keep it moving here. Uh, you know... We just had to talk about the Redskins and the Dolphins. I'm all I'm all frazzled. Um, we got the we got the uh, Vikings and the Eagles squaring off. From a betting perspective, I really like the Eagles here. They're, they're three point underdogs. I know Vikings have been good at home thus far. I just think the Eagles are the better team, and I know that there's a knock on the Eagles secondary, but you know I think that there's also a knock on Kirk Cousins. Yeah, it's interesting. This is. Everyone talks about, oh, strength on strength. This is actually weakness on weakness, in my opinion. I think the Eagles passing attack, if Deshaun Jackson's going to miss time again, we've seen how Nelson Aguilar has been inept in terms of actually doing the one thing he's supposed to be paid to do and catching the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but against a Vikings defense, that's really good. But you look on the other side of things, Vikings passing attack, really bad for the most part, except for it, shockingly against the Giants, who've been really bad overall. overall. Against the Eagles secondary, that's also been really bad. I, I think this is going to be a closer game than most anticipated. Anticipate. You're right. The Eagles, in most situations, are the better team. But I think all it's going to take is Adam Thielen getting 120 yards and 10 catches to make this game relatively competitive. Yes, I think the Eagles will shut down Delvin Cook as best you can. But when a guy is getting 25 carries and is as explosive as Cook is, he's going to be able to rip off a big play and make a difference maker. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be up to Carson Wentz and the 
and I don't want to say lackluster receiving core, but hindered receiving core to be able to do something against an eagle or against a Vikings defense in a scenario and stadium that is very beneficial, like you mentioned, to the home home team. That I, I think it's going to be closer than most anticipate. Okay, yeah, I think it's going to be one of the better uh, games of that early window. Um, as far as this Philadelphia run game, is there any interest that you have in, in either Sanders or Jor- Jordan Howard going up against his Vikings defense? I know everyone got excited about Howard after the Packers game, and I was one of the first to say, or well, I doubt I was the first, but I was like, oh, Howard always kicks the Packers' ass. Now, <laughs> we saw it tested true once more on Thursday night when he ran wild, and again, the Packers' defense decide, hey, we'll just let somebody run for six yards per carry without touching him first. Uh, I, I, I like Sanders at by the end of the season. I, okay. I understand that the Eagles are utilizing Howard Moore and we saw it again last week too against the Jets I still would rather have Sanders I don't want to have either one of them in my lineup though this week yeah it's it's a it's a tough sell like you need to be really bitten uh, by the bye weeks in order to be considering either of those two Jordan Howard or Adrian Peterson AP dude We've stumped, we've stumped that low. We've hit that point of the show where Adrian Peterson is a more viable fantasy throw. I agree with you. I think if that's the if that's the two you're debating. But again, like I said when I was talking about Adrian Peterson, just just do something else if you're considering having him in your lineup. Yeah, it's it's bad news. I I just know that I have a bunch of Adrian Peterson shares just like collecting dust, and uh, <laughs> so it just made me feel better to say like, oh, I would start him over a warm body. Um, but let's move on. Uh, we got the Falcons and the Cardinals. Falcons have been thoroughly disappointing, and yet the Cardinals have seen that and raised them uh, even worse play overall here. So the Falcons, two and a half point favorites on the road. I spent uh, a near negligent amount of time of my office hours working on my FanDuel lineup today, and just about every player I could possibly fit in from the Falcons Cardinals game, I did. Let's go. Uh, like I like Matt Ryan. I think he of the higher priced quarterbacks, he's probably one of my favorite over a Patrick Mahomes, over Deshaun Watson. We know Patrick Peterson is not going to be back yet for the Cardinals. We, they're missing their second their second string cornerback uh, since week one. They've been bad all year long in terms of stopping the pass. This feels like a very high scoring game. It's at fifty one and a half right now. I'm not going to necessarily bet on the over on that, but I would not be surprised in the slightest if it happens because we know the Cardinals can also pass against a Falcons secondary that's been just as dreadful and also missing Keanu Neal. So th- this feels really great. I love Larry Fitzgerald. I'm interested to see if Christian, McCaff- or Christian McCaffrey, Christian Kirk is going to be able to play. I think mm-hmm. last we heard he was able to practice on a limited basis on Thursday. We still don't know what his status is, and that could make a difference, but this is going to be a passive game from both sides of the ball. And, uh, you know, there is, there is definitely that element. And then the other big injury slash potential slate changer for DFS purposes is the status of David Johnson. Yeah, and David Johnson was a full participant, or at least he was practicing in some capacity Friday, and it seemed to be a, all right, nothing to see here, guys. He's going to be fine to go from at least the beat writers that were reporting about it. So if that's the case, any Chase Edmonds shares that I th- he went for forty four dollars in a stake league bid this week. I mean that in the long run maybe that pays off, but like it, you know it seems like this particular injury for David Johnson it's not going to be the one that opens the door completely. I put for eight dollars and I thought I was being really aggressive. So <laughs> yeah, so anyone that really aggressively spent on Chase Edmonds might not be the week. Was to it list? No, somebody else. Okay, somebody else. But I think Liss also went really high in somebody that was like, huh. But both Liss and I are near the bottom of the stake league standings thus far, so <laughs> that's where we're at right now. Uh, yeah, so I I don't know. I think David Johnson, it, it sounds like he's going to be able to play Sunday. I don't want him in my DFS lineups if he's out there, 
-hmm. Obviously, season long, you can't afford to bench him. But in DFS, I think there's probably better alternatives for cheaper-ish running backs, at least in the 7,000 to 6,500 range. Yeah, I think you're right. There there are just kind of better alternates there. So uh, I, yeah, again, no David Johnson for me in DFS, but uh, probably no Chase Edmonds either if David Johnson is ultimately active. Uh, let's stay in the NFC West here. We got the Rams facing off against the Niners. Niners you know, I think they sold most of America this past week on, on Monday night with just an absolute drubbing of the Cleveland Browns running all over the place and getting after the passer, completely dominating Baker Mayfield, Nick Bosa doing the flag plant, which was just a <laughs> tremendous troll. I mean, for for a guy like Baker Mayfield, who's kind of made his bones trolling to this point. Uh, to see Bosa do that and and have that long memory of two years ago in Columbus, pretty awesome. Yeah, raise his hand as the guy that was convinced by the 49ers after Monday's game. And I will be not ashamed to admit I was not prior to that. Same. I thought I it had was the Browns be, to win that one. I did too. I, and I, I th- not convincingly, but I thought it was going to be a, a coming out party, so to speak, for that offense. And we clearly saw limitations in terms of the Browns offensive line. But frankly, we saw what Nick Bosa and the defensive line of the 49ers can do against just about anybody. And I feel comfortable saying the Rams offense line is better than the Browns, mm-hmm. but to what extent I think remains unclear. So that's a concern. Also, the fact that Todd Gurley got a doubtful tag is a little bit of a concern as well, too. Maybe upon maybe we get to finally see Daryl Henderson, the third round pick for the Rams actually do something. But even if Malcolm Brown gets a hundred percent of the snaps, I don't know if I really want to run him against the 49ers defense. Is that crazy to think? No, not, not really. I think that this run defense for the, for the Niners and particularly that, that front is really nasty. So um, yeah, I don't feel great. I think Brown could be like streamable if you, if you're desperate uh, and then Henderson, if Henderson even gets on the field, it, it'd be like, um, do you ever see that family guy where, where Peter had, had like a clown waiting in the ceiling uh, <laughs> oh, to <yeah>. like <laughs> celebrate when he was right. <laughs> yes. And then yes. 15 years pass and he's Lois finally says he's right. He pulls the string and like this clown it. skeleton comes down. He was alive when I put him up there. So, so that's what the Darrell Henderson truthers what we'll be doing that's, on Sunday. That's a hundred percent. You're you're absolutely right. I hadn't. I wish I had that. Normally, when you start the sentence, have you ever seen that Family Guy episode? The answer should be yes for me automatically. But that's that's a very good comparison as to what will probably happen. And that's if Henderson sees the field. Like he doesn't have to even do anything. That's literally how far we are right now, that if Henderson sees the field, we'll be like, yes, exciting. This is relevant information to me as a fantasy owner. Uh, and it's frustrating. Like, I, I, Malcolm Brown, I might be dead. Like, I'd rather have Malcolm Brown just over Adrian Peterson. I get the matchup that Adrian Peterson has against the Dolphins, but I do think that Malcolm Brown's in a better offense, and maybe they move the ball more with Cooper Cup to the point where they get in the red zone and he just falls in, which is kind of what Malcolm Brown's running style is. It's just falling in yep, uh, for three yards or four yards, whatever else. So that's that's kind of my prognosis on what could be an interesting game with Ty Gurley out. Yeah, that, that definitely changes things here. Um, I think that the two more or three more guys – worth uh talking about here from this rams offense are we going to see woods or cooks or both get going and can gerald everett continue to be a contributor i do think gerald Everett can be a contributor i've I've been impressed with him and i I won't be ashamed to admit that he might have made me a little bit of fan duel money towards the end of the fantasy playoffs when a lot of people were like oh yeah it's tyler higby that's gonna be doing stuff for the rams and that wasn't the case and I think Everett's been impressive to me, and we knew that Sean McVay liked to use the tight ends. Go back to Jordan Jordan uh, Reed for the Redskins when he was the offensive coordinator or the whatever position he was for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's not surprising me to see Everett kind of emerge as the third or fourth option. The fact that it's at the expense of Brandon Cooks or Robert Woods, and I say or because 
one or the other always goes off every week. Good luck guessing. It's like a higher version of the Buccaneers' backfield right now. Yeah. Like they're on a, a higher raised plane um, because of Sean McVay. But it is still the similar level of frustration that I would feel. And I'm surprised that Everett's taking away those targets. I, I think it's going to be Cup, obviously, as the main target, like to the point where he gets 8 to 10 catches and 100 yards again. 15-plus uh, fantasy points feels like a floor that he should easily be able to jump over. I don't know what to say about Woods or uh, uh, Cooks, though. Like that That's a frustration point that I am happy I've been able to avoid this season. And what, what's crazy is that all three of them were going in such similar ADPs. And oh, I yeah. think in a, a lot of the times, Cup, Cup was, was the third. third. Oh, yeah, easily, by about a round or so. Yeah, so, oh, boy, that stings if, you, if you're heavy on the Cooks or Woods game because Cup just seems like uh, a lock at this point. I think we have him as like number two or number three in our projections for this week behind who, only Julio Jones. So. And Thielen was number one on Jeff Erickson's rankings. And I totally believe that. Like, or I was like, yeah, that, that makes total sense to me too. But Cup's right up there. Yeah, so that that is pretty wild. But hey, uh, it seems to be working. Anything, uh, any lasting comments you wanted to get on the Niners side of things? Well, I, I just wonder how effective we're going to see Matt Breida uh, this week. Obviously, he broke up that long touchdown run. The speed is there. We knew it was there. This should not be a surprise to anyone. Even if you were watching Monday Night Football for the first time, you still should have an idea that Matt Breida is a really fast player. Mm-hmm. The fact that they have so many fast players, whether it be Tevin Coleman or you know Dante Pettis or Matt Breida, and yet they're only able to get the running backs going, I think is more of a detriment to Kyle Shanahan's offense than it should be a compliment. Like, the receivers are talented. Why they can only get George Kittle being effective on any given time is frustrating to me. Uh, and I don't even have as many shares as maybe Mario or somebody else in the Dante Pettis, Marquise Goodwin realm. But I, I do think one of the running backs is going to go off. I actually think it's going to be Coleman, though, that, that does more with the snaps that he's provided. And we saw more carries than Breida last week, obviously less rushing yards. But I think the Rams' defense is going to be a little bit better, at least in containing the speed. And I think that's where Coleman's going to be able to separate himself. Yeah, and I do agree with you also on the opportunity front. And last week, I, that was Coleman's first game back from the ankle. Right. Is that correct? So I, I think that we can potentially project uh, to Coleman for Coleman to continue to see uh, the greater share of that uh, rushing work in that backfield but Breda just like he's just de- like deep league catnip because you know you just oh, need yeah. one play from him right right and that's exactly those 12 or 14 team leagues we have a the 16 team league here at rotowire that's on yahoo where you're just I, like i was starting frank gore consistently at flex for multiple weeks feeling good about it too oh yeah <laughs> i was like oh wow i stumbled into a flex option frank gore this is fantastic and <laughs> and no one should be saying that again if you are like me just stop playing if frank gore is your flex <laughs> option stop it uh but yeah, I, we're right like Brita's is fantastic for those deep leagues because all he needs to do is break one and he can and that, that's why a lot of people were recommending a stack of the 49ers uh, backfield in best ball leagues because either one of them has production possibilities that far rival the ninth and 11th round selections they were going. That's right. Yeah. And and it definitely looks like it's paying, it's going to pay off here moving forward. Let's get on to the Titans and the Broncos. I don't know if there's a ton of fantasy intrigue here. Bet the under. That's that's my like advice out of this game is I'm taking the under all the way. And I, there's been one thing I've been able to do well this year in terms of gambling, and it's getting the under correct. I can never figure out the over for any other team in the NFL. But the unders have been just fine, and I just don't see how either one of these offenses are going to be able to move. Like Maybe Derrick Henry gets over 100 rushing yards, so you imagine the Titans get down to the red zone twice and you <laughs> right. have a field goal kicker that makes 
more than ooh, zero I don't, field goals? I, yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> Risky. <laughs> All right, okay. So you assume that Cody Parkey can literally do anything in terms of kicking the ball. Maybe that's how the Titans scratch out a victory. As a guy that has many bets, many being multiple, like three, with the Broncos under six wins, I felt very vindicated this year. As you should. <laughs> yeah, nice call. Yes, they, the, Browns, the Broncos are not good. And I, I understand Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman can do things. And Cortland Sutton has emerged along with the DJ Charks of the world, mm-hmm. uh, as a legitimate number one receiver. But I, I just don't think that matters when Joe Flacco is your starting quarterback in the NFL. And no one seemed to understand that Joe Flacco was a starting quarterback in the NFL for a team. Like, you bet the under on the wins when Flacco was the quarterback, right? You've been through this. Oh, <laughs> yep, late-stage Flacco. Still, I still wear those scars to this day. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't want to talk about anything else for the Titans Broncos other than just I think the under is probably a safe bet. Yeah, and if you if you've had the the goods on the under, that's definitely good insight there. And I feel like the Titans have also just been great for betting the under. Oh yeah, they, they're, like they're, the only the time fantastic. they weren't was like the Falcons game, and the Falcons are great for betting the over. Yeah, so. but the, the, the Titans Bills was like under catnip for me. Like I couldn't believe that I could have them for under thirty or whatever know, it was. Right? Like, it was like, oh my god, this is exciting! Can't wait. Like, I think it was like thirty eight, and even that was like pff, yeah, right. I, I got like, them at forty one and okay. i was ecstatic like i'm pretty sure i did a cartwheel uh and and banged at least one hole through the wall as i completely whiffed it yeah we got i mean we got construction going on oh, that's I'm sure exactly it's why we're having the construction is to fix my messes <laughs> J- yeah J- joe we got to talk about your gymnastics here uh let's get on to the cowboys and the jets cowboys seven point road favorites sam darnold back in the fold uh my big takeaway for this game or my big sort of overarching take for this week and maybe there's a little bit of it because I really liked Aaron Jones last week against this Cowboys defense. And it's not necessarily that I think this Cowboys defense against the run is like putrid or anything. I just think that opportunity lends itself a lot to Le'Veon Bell. I think that outside of Christian McCaffrey, I don't know if any other running back uh, has seen as many touches per game as Bell. He's getting about 25 per game. So I think just that sheer amount of volume, uh, the amount of like check down catches he might be getting from a, a rusty Sam Darnold um, should really carry his PPR value. I think that, you know, on, on DFS sites, he's actually pretty affordable. So I really like Le'Veon Bell. But I on the other side, I love the Cowboys in this game. I, I think that they I feel confident enough to use a survivor pick on them. And I think they'll cover the spread. Yeah. Uh, certainly the survivor pick I, I definitely get I, I've I've fluctuated on the spread both like oh my god I can get the Cowboys and seven uh, over the Jets this is fantastic and then I thought about more I'm like oh no Sam Darnold's back and maybe Jamison Crowder can move the ball around and Robbie Anderson just like Matt Breida it's like a, a worse wide receiver version of Matt Breida like oh he's one big play from changing the game and we saw last week really all it takes like with the the one bounce interception to Jair Alexander completely flip the script for the Cowboys, the same thing could potentially happen. I know as unlucky as it might be for a game where the Jets can at least get close within seven points. So you're interested, but I, I brought you brought the volume point, and I think that's the most um, important takeaway from the Cowboys and Jets overall is that Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey are the only two running backs that are seeing more uh, more carries, receptions, and snaps than Le'Veon Bell at this point. Okay. And for 6,800, I think he's on FanDuel. That's about as 
quick of a slap that uh, like like button or lock in button, I should say, uh, for my DFS lineups that I possibly can have. Like I, I think of the meme where it's like, all right, slap the button. Uh, yep. That's that's Le'Veon Bell in my my DFS lineups right now. Whether it be the afternoon slate, which I was particularly excited about having or making, or just the overall one, at least in cash games. Like even if Bell doesn't score, you're anticipating five to seven receptions, right, and eighty five total yards, and I'll take. 15 plus FanDuel points um, for a guy that's 6,800 right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that some of the other guys in that price range are not nearly as, not nearly have the upside that Bell does. So I do like that call a lot. Uh, let's get into the night games before we round things out here. We got the Chargers and what's left of the Steelers. Uh, Chargers lost to that terrible Broncos team that you mentioned uh, last week. They were at home. They're at home again, but yeah, you figure that this home. is going to be all Steelers fans. I mean, the way the Steelers fans travel in general, a, a chance to go out to L.A. Uh, exactly. I think at that they're going to do it. It's like a quote-unquote thing that we just kind of Columbus to... Day weekend. I mean, <laughs> make a weekend of it. Go Get on out there. Exactly. And as much as I was, um, uh, was going to say a different word, but pooping on the Broncos earlier about how bad they are, and rightfully so, I was immediately smashing the uh, Broncos plus seven last week because that just felt like the perfect Chargers game. The Chargers, at least for the last four or five years, have always struggled against the Broncos. There is no home field advantage. They can't stop the run right now, which is why I love James Conner this week, especially Ooh. with Jalen Samuels out too. Like they, is it Benny Snell? Like really, are we going to talk uh, ourselves I, into I, a I Benny can't get Snell? into there. Neither nope. can I. Like I've, I've watched college football enough to know it's James Conner, right? And we're not doing a Benny Snell game. The only concern and why I get why people might go over on six and a half for the Chargers is that they might be without thir- they might be down to Devlin Hodges, whatever third string quarterback you have. Yep. I don't know what Mason Rudolph's status is of yet, where I think we're still kind of figuring that out, and that might be a game time decision as well. I think they have enough weapons, whether it be Juju Smith Schuster or uh, Deontay Johnson, who we've talked about on the Tuesday podcast as a sneaky, pretty good pickup, and it has been for the last couple of weeks now. Um, that might be enough against. You talk about what's left of the Steelers. What's left of the Chargers also applies. They have very limited in terms of secondary depth. They've already lost Adrian Phillips, um, who is the backup to Derwin James, who they lost at the beginning of the year. Um, Melvin Ingram is also going to be out now for an extended time. So Jerry Tillery, who's done okay as a pass rusher, is kind of like the next man up for the Chargers. I think this is going to be a closer game than people anticipate, even with a third string option at quarterback for the Steelers. I just hope it's somewhere in the realm of as entertaining as the Sunday nighter was a year ago between these two teams. That was a really fun game. I think it's going to be. And if you told me the Steelers secondary was like the week one or two version of the Steelers, I would say, yeah, for sure. This is going to be entertaining. But that Minka Fitzpatrick trade, I don't even know if he's made that big of a difference, but it seems to be an atmospheric change. For the Steelers secondary, and they've done a lot better. Like I thought they're going to. I thought the Ravens are going to have their way against them. That really did not occur right. last week at all. And the same thing could happen with a skill or with a skill position tree that is severely limited with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Melvin Gordon, and Austin Eckler. And that is it. Like if you look at anyone else targeting, it's it's pretty gross overall. Yeah, so it's a, it's a very narrow tree there, and you know we still haven't we we haven't seen. The fully formed Melvin Gordon of 2019 just yet. This I anticipate it get it gets better. I though. think this is the game for Melvin Gordon. Like if you are a Melvin Gordon owner, uh, you probably are okay with what he did last week, where you weren't anticipating much. This is where I could see it going 60 40 or 70 30, and Austin Eckler's out there as a receiving threat. They both are going to see the field. I think again with how bad their receiving options are outside of Keenan Allen, Mike Evans, you can't afford to take Austin Eckler off, and you can't afford to take Melvin Gordon off. So. Two two running back sets is what I see happening quite frequently. Yeah, I, that definitely like 
that would make sense from a personnel perspective to go out with, with that, you know, 21 personnel or 22, depending on, on how many tight ends they want to roll out there, if they even have enough to make it a 22 personnel. Um, let's see. And then otherwise, I just wanted to say like Eckler getting six, 16 targets, they got to figure something else out. They, they, there's yeah, better yeah, usage of a pass plays. But like, what, two yards per catch? And I know that's an exaggeration, but it really isn't that gross. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just bad for the Chargers to be throwing to the running back that much right. you know, when and it's I that think, exaggerated. Again, history with the Chargers and the Broncos, Keenan Allen, I, I did a, I had wrote his note the game, like game after, it was the Dolphins one, I was saying, guys, watch out. Keenan Allen only has 40 yards per, like 40, uh, 40 yards um, in the five or six games that he's played against the Broncos in the last three years. Like they just are really good at shutting him down. And we've seen when Keenan Allen is out, like when just unable to be able to play with their injury or ineffectiveness, the Chargers really struggle. Mike Williams is able to benefit that to 70 plus yards, but it was nobody else. And I think that's where the concern lies. The Steelers can't do that for whatever the reason to the Chargers. And I, I'm not worried so much about that. Aspect. Okay. All right. So the offense should function a little bit more like an actual NFL offense this week. All right. Let's round things out here. Your Green Bay Packers. Yeah, and uh, I might not be able to go to that game. So if any listeners want tickets from me or are able to somehow make it to Lambeau Field, let me know. I can I can try to accommodate for that best I can. Uh, but otherwise, I, I was excited for this one. The Lions are a good team, and I think that's kind of the the question mark that people in Wisconsin are asking: like, how good are the Lions? And we've seen them be the doormat of the NFC North for the last four or five years. And normally it's the Bears that we like to, to make fun of. That's not the case anymore. They're on their way back down. Don't worry. Yes, yes. Thank you, Trubisky, for being my immortal for existing. love. Yes, <laughs> I appreciate you so much. The Lions are a good team, and their strength is the secondary. And I think that's a bigger concern when we think Devontae Adams is likely going to be out for this game as well uh, with the turf toe. So more Kezavelda Scantling, Geronimo Allison. I don't feel great about them really separating themselves against the Lions secondary. So maybe it has to be a Jimmy Graham game if the Packers game will move the ball. It's Aaron Jones, though, and I, yes. he, he's not getting 40-plus points again we saw last week. But if the, the Packers are going to win, I think they have to rely on Aaron Jones and also Jamal Williams. Like I think both are going to do well because I do think the Packers are going to win. I, I just don't see the Lions having enough weapons, whether it be Kenny Galladay uh, matching up against Kevin King or Jair Alexander or Carrion Johnson. That's probably the only big takeaway that I have from this game overall fantasy-wise. Get carry on in there if you can. I don't know, imagine, or I don't imagine why you wouldn't have him in there, but I do feel comfortable that they're going to be able to run the ball pretty successfully. Yeah, that that has been the Achilles' heel of that uh, Packers defense to this point. And then from an injury perspective, uh, something that that'll be kind of tough to figure out is T.J. Hawkinson's status because he is playing on Monday night, and obviously you, you don't have a ton of flo- tight ends floating around on your roster, so uh, it might be best to explore other options at your tight end position unless things make a drastic change as of the saturday injury report yeah unless you have the top eight tight ends and hawkinson has not been among that top eight barometer and it's a very very low line that you have to jump over every one of them is expendable like uh, hawkinson was available in the stake league wire earlier this week jared cook was in that same conversation uh, i forget another well well highly drafted guy was also in that spot too and it makes sense the packers are i think six best against the tight end position overall i don't imagine that Hawkinson's going to have much uh, in the way of success, if he is even active, right? Uh, not that Blake Martinez is a coverage monster. In fact, he should be not covering anybody at all and just trying to make tackles. He's just with the tackle line of machine, yeah. Yes, that's uh, that's all it is. But I do think they have the safeties, even with Darnell Savage out. Most likely, he wasn't able to practice this uh, at least Thursday, as of right now. Uh, even if Savage is out, I think they have the safeties to be able to match up okay against the Titans. And the play action only works if the running game works. Well, we do think carry on Johnson's going to be able to run the ball, but I do think it's going to be more of a Marvin Jones, who's been historically a Packers killer now for the last three or four seasons. 
He might do better. Kenny Galladay might do better. I don't think it's going to be the tight ends, though. Okay. All right. So that that is an important thing to throw out there, and I, I definitely agree with you, especially when it comes to carry-on. We'll see what this Packers passing game can do. Sands, uh, Devontae Adams, if Valdez Scantling and, and everybody can like keep things afloat for another week. But that's going to wrap things up for today's edition of the Rotowire NFL Podcast, brought to you by Yahoo and Yahoo Daily Fantasy Sports. during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.